MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Welcome to a new episode of MindSpark Podcast. Today is a very exciting special episode because we're not only recording the podcast, but also the video. So you will be able to now see the video and our beautiful faces of me and my guest Christina for the show. So we will have Christina Roppelt here today. And yeah, I'm very, very excited to have you with us. So Christina is an intercultural communicator, entrepreneur, educator, and she's the owner of an agency for international cooperation. That sounds very exciting. So Christina, tell us more about your job. Absolutely, Chiara. Thank you so very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to listen to the previous episodes of MindSpark podcast, which I also encourage all the uh, visitors to this episode to do. So um, my greatest sincere thanks for you to invite me and have me here. Uh, I would absolutely be happy to share with you the background of my job and what's behind the scenes. But to tell very briefly about what I'm doing, I can say that my job is to connect people from different countries, cultures, and um, specific communities, I would say, languages uh, that may be sometimes very difficult because people do have different backgrounds. And since it's not easy to understand each other, even in your own language, speaking to the people of your own country, of your own community, you can't imagine how many communicational um, noises, let's put it this way, may emerge for the people who come from different backgrounds. That is why I sufficiently, I hope, support my clients in their international and intercultural communications. And in practice, it may be anything from supporting a startup, an entrepreneur, a commencing entrepreneur to prepare a beautiful pitch to a board of venture investors from abroad, uh, to a businessman who wants to launch a product or service in a different country and needs to conduct negotiations and needs support in um in finding an argumentation or conveying these ideas uh, to a corporate professional who needs to make a presentation to a new team if he or she relocates. So uh, these are very typical cases of my um, consultancy and the support that my company provides. So um, this is a very brief description. So I'll be super happy if you give me clarifying questions. Yes, of course. And what's also extremely exciting for me is the intersection of our two topics. They're closely related, but from a different angle. Because what I do is I take care of corporate culture leadership. So I make sure cognitive diverse people understand each other and find ways to collaborate, finding a team purpose, creating psychological safety to become a high performing team. But then on the other side, you not only have cognitive diverse people, but you also have different cultural factors, which I think putting these two concepts together is extremely powerful. It is true. And I can say that uh, probably the most successful projects in my career were always about collaborating with the other professionals when it comes to people who work with corporate culture, uh, leadership topics, other soft skills, apart from soft skills that you need for international and intercultural communication, and also working with the professionals in the sphere of psychology, communication, etc. Because when it comes to intercultural communication only, you face, of course, very multiple and very diverse challenges from, for instance, misunderstanding in different foreign languages to very diverse backgrounds and business cultures in different countries. But we very often forget that there are such things as generations, which also have a very different culture. 
professional communities, which also have very different cultures. And all of these layers, even gender specificities, do uh, have an impact on how we understand each other and how we communicate. That's why I always have a little bit of a challenge expressing the job that I'm doing, because on the one hand, it's very diverse. And on the other hand, it's not enough in itself. You need to have the support of other professionals if you want to work on efficient communications in the global field. Definitely. I'm very excited to dive deeper into what it actually means. So let's talk about intercultural leadership. And I'm referring to managing an intercultural team. Can you give us some advice on leading an international team? And I imagine that a diverse team, like cognitive diverse, also culturally diverse, can bring some learning opportunities, not to say challenges, especially in a business environment. So what is your advice if I'm leading a team and I have people from all different geographies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I would thank uh, oneself for asking this question. What do I do as a leader of a multicultural team? Because you may be surprised, but very often people who find themselves in the position of a leader of a big or big or small, it actually doesn't matter, intercultural team, uh, they just continue and pursue with the leadership style that they've had in their own past, in their own company or in their own country. And they don't even assume that there should be a certain change applied to the leadership style or to the leadership patterns in a different Uh, team in a diverse team. So uh, yeah. those who ask themselves these questions already deserve praise <laughs> and uh, thanks. And I'm a, a very big um, advocate of um, self-support, I would say. So um, that's that's good enough already if you ask this question. Yeah, uh, awareness is the first stage of change. <laughs> exactly. So true. I couldn't agree more. And the second thing is I would ask uh, oneself again uh, if they've ever had experience of working in an intercultural team. So the question is, have you ever experienced challenges or maybe vice versa, the advantages of working in an intercultural team? And if you have not, do you at the moment have any chance to find yourself in an interculturally diverse team? For instance, Maybe you have a hobby, like you play a team sports. And is there a possibility to play a team sports in a diverse team? For instance, I have a friend from Egypt who has always enjoyed playing frisbee in different countries, wherever he worked, with the team of expats. So he consciously mm. searched for expats teams who will be working and um, living in a certain city and at the same time playing frisbee in their spare time. So he would go and play sports or maybe do volunteering as also another option to find yourself working in an intercultural team, working in a sense that you are producing some activity which is purposeful and uh, has a certain goal and has a certain result, doesn't necessarily need to be a business-related team to get this experience. So um, step number one or step number two, if you wish to take a awareness of step number one, is to find yourself a member of an intercultural team uh, if you have never been uh, in this position before. Um, step number three, let's put it this way at the moment, would be to ask yourself what kind of onboarding might be requested for the diverse team like the one you have. 
because it is very, very interesting. Sometimes we see people who work in uh, bicultural teams. So, for example, you might have a Chinese-American team and they will need one type of onboarding, learning more about cross-cultural communication because you need mm-hmm. to know about American culture and about Chinese culture. And you need to understand how to better ensure collaboration between the two types of cultures. That On sounds the very hand, different from each other. Exactly, yes. <laughs> it's, choice, it's, yeah. it's, it's better kind of like this. If you watch the video, you yeah. can see how we're how I'm trying to visualize this, uh, this very notion. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a very diverse team, which is in fact not cross-cultural, but intercultural, because you have many cultures at the same time, what kind of onboarding might be requested there? considering as well the background of the local community. For instance, you might be ending up uh, as a British person, a leader for an international team of Scandinavians, Russians and Indians working in Denmark. And this gives you several layers on top of that. You being a person of one culture, your team members being representatives of other cultures, and you uh, basically standing on the ground of a third culture locally. So what kind of onboarding might be requested for this kind of team is very important. And here, your advisory, of course, will be your HR department, your learning and development department, your leadership, direct leadership, who might have experience in managing such kind of diverse teams and asking for their advice on the best ways to onboard the team or maybe familiarize yourself with the team is of critical importance. Perhaps your company already has certain best practice in terms of uh, bridging the differences in the understanding between these kind of uh, cultures. Two other tips that I uh, might come up with if we don't go too deep into specific cases and if we don't want to bore our uh, listeners with very uh, nuanced explanations of what should be done in terms of assessment and specific training, I would say that accepting and recognizing the difference verbally uh, and in a written form may be of great importance and may be of great value as well. So sometimes people just on board, do certain training, and then proceed as if from that moment on, there has been a certain um, unified culture established. But that is just not working this way. Humans are <laughs> yeah. changing in the slowest possible manner. You know, We can update technology, do digital transformation, uh, install amazing equipment, but at the same time, our brains and our cultural patterns are changing very slowly. That's why it's a big mistake to assume that from that moment on, we have ground zero and everyone shares the same values, patterns of work, etc. So to be more specific, uh, again, if I am an American um, leader uh, working in a very diverse team, it would be very helpful sometimes to make references saying, you know what, I'd like to share with you how we've been doing brainstorming back in the US. We usually took a flip chart and spent about 40 minutes uh, drafting something on this piece of paper. Uh, But that's how I used to do that. How do you guys feel like doing it? Um, Are are there any other ways that you prefer um, to input into our uh, teamwork at the moment? Or vice versa, maybe you are a Chinese leader to a Japanese team, Japanese, for instance, um, I don't know, Japanese-Korean team. Let's take um, Pacific Green. A Chinese leader working with a Japanese-Korean team might be saying, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I do uh, appreciate the current um, results of the work that you've provided. However, uh, from what I remember back in China, every report should go along with an annex. Uh, could you please clarify if you do provide an annex and if you don't, could you please do that? Because this is important for me, judging by our previous experience, this was always very helpful. Uh, of course, exact wording is not universal and uh, it might need to be adjusted for every specific situation, considering the hierarchical um, differences yeah, in yeah. the Eastern cultures. But all in all, the idea is verbalizing and vocalizing the understanding of this difference and the patterns that you carry at the back of your brain can be super helpful and perhaps the last point to be a, to be to be a teaser rather than a lecture on this on this subject <laughs> i would say that it would be super helpful to express curiosity to learn more about your colleagues and to try to understand what stands behind their late arrivals or what stands behind their indirect answers or why they are so careful about gender relations in the team or why they are so inresponsive to personal celebrations after work. Um, so instead of just accepting this as it is and keeping it in your brain as a specific numerical information, the Koreans do that, the Japanese do that, the Americans do that, and I'm like a robot going to just accept that and put it into my code. <laughs> no, it's it's a good idea to express human curiosity. And uh, believe me, this will be an investment that pays you back. Because since you understand the roots of a certain behavior, at that moment, you start being, you, you become, pardon, more flexible, much more adaptable, and much more appreciated and valued as a leader who looks into the root and sees the original source rather than works just with the visible part of the iceberg. Let's put it this way. This is extremely powerful, Christina, the curiosity, but also the communication and the willingness to understand. And let me share an, an observation that I had during one of the last workshops that I was running, and it was about a purpose definition with the team. And at the beginning, I thought, oh, it takes quite long, but in the end, it was the best investment of time to have two hours discussion with all the team members, constructive discussions, in which we dove deep and understood there were people from Sweden, Denmark, Germany, someone living in the US, China, so different cultural contexts. And one person said, no, I'm very triggered by this word because for me it means this and that. And then after these two hours, we could finally come to a mutual understanding of what the word means and what we want it to mean as a team. And this is so powerful to unlock your collaboration, everything, because you don't have people that say, oh, I heard this word. I'm completely, you know, I zoom out. Um, I, I don't want to be involved in a team purpose that has this word in there. And in the end, we came to such a good result because we were all on the same page, but it definitely is important to invest the time to come to mutual understanding because even though you think oh I made myself so clear why are they not doing what I'm saying it's maybe because the other person understands something completely different and it was beautiful to see this displayed in this team across different cultures and meanings that they were all holding for the same words absolutely and I would say that in some corporate cultures and some professional cultures and in some national cultures there is this bias and I cannot call it differently a bias of um, let's stick to the work so we came here to accept budget plan 
let's focus on the budget plan rather than understanding what it means for us um, a budget line called I don't know uh, infrastructural development instead of just discussing what infrastructural development means to all of us and how we uh, draw the budget lines here and there we just start discussing numbers without fully understanding what it means to all the members of the committee, for example. And uh, the two remarks that I'd like to make here is, first of all, never underestimate the language differences. For those people who yeah. don't work in their native language, for those people who work uh, in their second language for all the team members, for instance, again, um, the, the, let's say, the Argentinians and uh, the South Africans working, no, South Africans is a bad example because English is one of the official languages. Let's put it this way. The Portuguese and the Argentinians working in English because um, Spanish wouldn't be the first language for the Portuguese. Um, Portuguese wouldn't be the first language for the Argentinians and they have a lingua franca. And since they all work in a foreign language, oh my God, good Lord, you can't even imagine how many uh, misunderstandings can emerge from there. So uh, never underestimate the uh, term work when it comes to people working in a different language, especially when it comes to assumed understanding for people, for example, who come uh, from uh, same language speaking countries, but using different dialects. Um, Australians working with the British, um, let's say Venezuelans working with the Peruvians, etc etc you might come from the same language background but dialects and accents may play a pretty critical role for you here and a pretty tricky role uh, can become a cornerstone for the misunderstanding and the second comment i wanted to make here is in fact the term work the work on the definitions on the mutual understandings is uh, one of the most important works of a moderator or a chair for any committee or team meeting, regardless of the language the people speak, even if they all come from the same country, share the same understandings, sometimes it's just the nature of the language. We have our own concepts in our brain and the dictionary shares a second concept and uh, corporate understanding shares the third concept. Unfortunately, we are not telepathic and we are unable to fully consume the information, especially relevant it is for the high context cultures, the cultures mm. that don't speak directly and keep yeah. everything between the lines or use metaphoric language or use the so-called, well, you know what I mean. Um, this is becoming a <laughs> As a German, I never know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so true. Yeah, so these were my points in support of your um, of your example, great example, and actually would love to uh, to participate in this kind of workshop and to see what kind of results you guys achieved. Yeah, let's see. Ne next time I bring you along. <laughs> Success, yeah, a good productive yes. result of the podcast already <laughs> achieved. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. <laughs> yeah, I could talk for hours about intercultural competency, culture transformation, because it becomes so meaningful if you do the right things and put everything together. And if you create this foundation of understanding curiosity and also openness and willingness to learn from each other, because like you shared, I had so many examples also learning different languages. When you think you understand, you say something because the grammatical context of your language would, you would build a phrase like that, but in a different language, people are like, what is she talking about? 
also for example with like when you were from the south of germany with the swiss germans i'm like oh yeah i understand but then sometimes i'm like oh i really don't understand but you assume easily oh yeah yeah yeah, i understand everything but then if you really have to work and get a task detailed you're like "Hmm, maybe i should reconfirm Can I share one more story here that will be very illustrative? Uh, We've been just discussing the layer of terms. What if we go up and discuss the layer of the meanings behind the terms, which we assume, uh, even if we name one and the same object in the same way and we use the same word, what context the object carries? And it's perhaps Mm. one of my favorite stories that happened to me when I was an exchange student in South Korea, in Seoul, University of uh, Foreign Languages. In Korean, it's called this is a, a nice university, lots of international students, and I really cherish the memories of that time. It was the time when I uh, also attended, apart from the other classes, some Korean classes. And um, a teacher gave us a task to make a comparative structure in a sentence. For example, your eyes are as bright as the stars, or uh, you are as beautiful as a spring flower, something like that. Just some oh, romantic or non-romantic, just yeah. poetical example. And I was thinking of some very... Um, basic things that would uh, be a bit funny maybe at the same time something that wouldn't be too hard to construct and I said and it's important especially for those um, attendees who watch us um, in terms of the video it's going to be easier for you to visualize but for a lot of my uh, European listeners at the moment it's going to be more understandable I said a beautiful woman's shape looks like a pear a fruit yeah And or you can imagine or visualize a guitar, for example, or a violin. It has a similar shape of a pear, a fruit. Curves. And a the curves exactly the body shape. And um, a Korean teacher who spoke Korean and uh, listened to my sentence in Korean asked Christina. She was calling me Kurisitina because it's it's impossible to pronounce it in the same way. So she like Kurisitina. Are you sure you mean a pear? I said yeah. She said, a fruit. I said, yeah, that's the sister of apple. And she said, yeah, uh, but a beautiful woman's shape. And we're putting aside uh, the question of what we understand as beautiful. Yeah, here it's it's a bit of a different story. Yeah. I said, a body shape in many cases looks like a pear. And she'd be like, I don't understand you. And probably your wrong was the terms. And I'm like, I don't think I am. It's a very simple word. And only then the very, she was like, okay, let it be, Christina. Fine. That's your, that's your choice. Maybe your culture is so strange, or maybe you you have a very different standard of beauty or women in your country look very different regardless. As it turned out, and my um, Asian colleagues would now perceive that very well um, in China, in Korea, in Japan, most of the pairs that originate in the Chinese region, the Chinese pairs are so-called circle. They're Uh. round. They're perfectly, they're a perfect round shape. And um, yeah, a shape of a ball or something like that. Yeah. So the moment I was speaking about a shape of a woman, she was imagining and visualizing a pair of this size or this shape. And um, from that moment on, it was a supermarket in the evening time that I, I looked at the pairs and I understood that they have a totally different shape. You can imagine that such a small nuance such a small detail and a very very simple object what could be more simple than a fruit you know 
it's yeah. the fruit it's it's the fruit everywhere but in the long term it turned out to cause a big misunderstanding it was a good funny moment because it happened in a classroom where we test your hypothesis and you learn to be a, an adult person capable to make proper comparisons but this happens everywhere and i think from that moment on i was actually very passionate about learning uh, intercultural communication because this is not the subject that in most cases you study um, in a university or at school this is something that most people either learn by doing experience or they are lucky to have a workshop at their corporate environment, or they sometimes end up coming to consultants like myself to ask about the challenges that arise uh, in the, their international work. But all in all, you don't think about that on your on your daily basis in your routine life. Yeah, and, and I think it's great if you have the sensitivity around it, because then you can laugh about it. Like something that remind I was reminded about of is... During my last trip in Spain, I realized because I usually have a lot of Latin American friends that speak differently, but in Spain, I heard a lot of like, venga, venga. And this reminded me when I was studying in in Spain, usually the Spanish just said, venga, like, let's go, let's continue. But the Italians in the class got up and went to the teacher in front of the class <laughs> because they oh. thought they have to come. You know, in oh, Italian, it's more like, I come see. here. I see. Wow. Again, a very illustrative example, I believe. Yeah. Something exactly. that happens to all of us. And I think it's worth mentioning uh, this moment before we proceed to any other topic, Chiara. I believe it's quite critical and it's quite important to understand. Uh, like several days ago, the United Nations have confirmed that officially now the record of the world population has achieved 8 billion people. And uh, we all might think that, uh, well, the population has been growing, is growing and will be growing. But... With it comes a tectonic change. Not only does the population grow, but the, the mobility of this population, the ability to cross borders, the ability to change locations and seek jobs or education or entertainment or personal life preferences changes so much that in the long run, we now have very, very few chances if we live, uh, let's say, among the top 50% of the most developed population of the world, we have very little chance to stay in our own shell and communicate only with the people from the neighborhood. It's becoming mm. practically impossible because there is a very high chance that at least once in your life, you will have to work in an international team and look at what's happening to the victims of the um, natural disasters, they are displaced, yeah, the displaced people, uh, the people that have to move because of the war or because of any other emergency that happens in their countries. And the tectonic change is that this kind of population, the displaced population is becoming so numerous these days that people end up living in a different country, uh, even out of their own will, but they end up and they continue work there, they continue their life there, sometimes they settle down. And again, I'm not only speaking about refugees, this is just one case. Yeah, and we, of course, can have a look at how dramatically COVID has changed the fact that we've all started working in remote teams from anywhere across the world. And it, again, increases the chances of you working in an intercultural environment, however much you would love to stay in a safe, nice, cozy, warm surrounding of the same language, the same country and the same culture. It's highly unlikely. On the one hand, I've got 
bad news that this is going to happen and this is going to bring certain errors and difficulties and challenges. Uh, but on the other hand, I've got good news that it's exciting. It's uh, opening yeah. your horizons. It's uh, giving you an opportunity to learn much more than you even expected. And this gives you a chance to learn more about yourself through the lens of the other people. So there are chances to uh, improve your cultural awareness. Luckily, we now have more and more materials about that. And uh, yeah, this leaves me hope that um, it's going to only bring us um, value in the future if we learn how to work with that and grow this awareness and grow this recognition and curiosity that we've just discussed. Yeah, and also a lot of potential that is still not unlocked. And yeah, I, for me personally, I think it's the most beautiful thing about being alive that we have all these different cultures, nuances and a lot of inspiration. So exactly. I think why not why not work on your intercultural skills? Because I think exactly. it's a key skill not only for leaders, but also for employees to have. Absolutely, Good. absolutely. And for this moment, I'd like to recommend uh, a source uh, with Kiara. We got to know each other through Global PM Days. Yeah, is that okay if we share just a super yes. uh, quick, brief background on that? And uh, yep. one of the one of the panels that uh, we went through with Kara was uh, the story, a super short story on how to work in an intercultural team, which I was speaking about. And I'm sure we will uh, give our audience a chance to have a look at this video as well if they want to learn more about how to work in an intercultural environment. Exactly. Good. Do you have any last tip if I'm a leader? What's a safe strategy? How to behave? What what should be the first thing we talked about? Maybe being in contact with experts, intercultural or people from different countries, but also working with HR to be supported. But what can I do for myself as a preparation or to sensibilize myself for different cultural contexts? Okay. Uh, if we're speaking about the time when you're already embarked on this journey, when you're not just preparing, but when you found yourself already being a leader, oh my God, where am I? And who are these people? Why am I here? <laughs> if you're already in that position, I would start, um, I would recommend a small exercise, uh, which is um, an intercultural awareness journey, uh, or which is uh, an intercultural awareness journal, pardon me, which is something oh, that, that sounds you can... Exciting. Yeah, which is something that's very easy. You can do about that. Um, you can basically um, open a special file on your computer or on your telephone or, or buy a super uh, nice and convenient uh, notebook for yourself to write down uh, some points of concerns, irritations or shocks that you encounter once you take on this leadership position. So for instance, you might write down that today, the 27th of November, uh, the period of uh, committee meeting, I noticed that all my Japanese colleagues are writing something in their papers or in their notebooks while I was delivering my presentation and they didn't pay attention to me. They were just writing something. Um, I was shocked and frustrated And uh, I'm not sure why it happened this way. So you mm -hmm. are observing and writing down the things uh, which will later pile up, starting from the points of certain business behavior to the points of reactions and even the way how people back channel you during the communication. So, for example, 
again, pardon if I started with the Japanese, but it's just very illustrative. Um, sometimes uh, a lot of um, Europeans come and say that they're surprised by the way the Japanese people back channel. Kara, um, mm. can you um, tell me, for example, what was your very last uh, travel that you experienced? Well, in Europe, it, now I have to think about it. I have been traveling a lot. So the last in Europe was Spain. Oh, Spain. Yes, then I was in Scandinavia. Scandinavia, okay. Yeah, and the next trip will be South Africa, but I don't have yet any reference points, but I'm also very excited. Oh, you're excited. Nice, can South also, Africa. We okay. can maybe use Kazakhstan, because Kazakhstan was very interesting for me, and I couldn't decode a lot. Aha, uh -huh. Kazakhstan, I see, understand. You, you couldn't what? Come again? I couldn't decode a lot of the culture because for me, it gave me Asian vibes, but then people speak Russian. So for me, in my head, I was like, ooh, interesting. But then culturally, I, I could not grasp fully how they behave, why they behave. Oh, why they behave, right? Why they behave. Yeah. In a certain way, yeah. In a certain way, yeah. I was trying to uh, imitate, and I hope our Japanese audience wouldn't mind my... Um, very bad imitation because I'm, I'm not a Japanese person and I'm not fully masterful <laughs> in this type of back channeling but it's very often that uh, the Japanese people repeat the last part of the phrase that they've heard from their interlocutor mm -hmm. and in this way they would show respect they would show interest empathy and for us it might sound weird um, why do they repeat after me every time I stop my phrase they uh, kind of just you know repeat the last two or three words so these kind of things will start piling up on your journal. And with a certain level of reflection and with a certain level of um, frustration maybe that you receive by a certain period of time, you will start cl uh, clustering this kind of cases. You will see that there are certain cases that frustrate you around egalitarian versus status-like questions. You will start noticing certain verbal patterns in how people react or show empathy or don't show empathy. You will start re uh, reviewing and understanding certain facial expressions that you cannot decode, which is hard to understand. You will start noticing how people reflect around such terms as time or money. And if mm -hmm. you cluster those things, it's going to be later easier for you to do your own research. Because there is quite a good amount of literature devoted to intercultural differences. And if you want to explore more about how to overcome the challenges of people not being punctual enough or people not being responsive enough or people not really engaged in team discussions, it will be much easier for you to Google uh, Indians team participation work culture or uh, Ukrainian uh, written communication style rather than just uh, write down something like why are Indians so unusual or um, how do I interpret Ukrainian behavior? And again, I'm very much limiting at the moment the specific cultural issues to national cultures because it's easier to perceive. And there may be many more layers of certain differences that stand behind a specific person. But this is something that's a good starting point for any leader to observe, to write these things down, to cluster them, and later make your research. And in the end... Uh, it's also very, very helpful to speak to experienced managers who have already been managing 
diverse teams from mm -hmm. India, Scandinavia, Africa, Latin America, regardless. Choose the ones that are suitable for your specific case. And it's, of course, of course, in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, helpful to speak to the representatives of this specific culture, asking what this could mean, why this specific behavior is so unusual, uh, what can be done to stimulate people to change their behavior if this is not something that's in line with your corporate policy. So it, there are diverse methods to overcome the challenges, but that's important to understand what frustrates you most of all or what poses a challenge at your specific team if you are a leader. Yeah, amazing. Great pieces of advice, Christina. Can I ask you something that I'm very interested in around high context, low context cultures and how you can make the communication work? Because I think I learned a lot over the time span of my career. But at the beginning, I did have quite some problems, especially with like British colleagues trying to understand what we really decided. Mm -hmm. um, how, how can I do this? And I guess there's a lot of other high context, low context cultures. And yeah. what, what can I do to get out of it what I need, maybe as a low-context culture, but also in a way that the high-context cultures are not frustrated? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think we should give a, a certain definition as uh, we should follow our own advice and we should explain a little bit what we mean under high-context or low-context culture. Of course, there is a lot of literature on the web and in libraries if you're interested to learn more about that. And uh, the renowned Erin Mayer was writing a lot about that as well in her books. But to give you a simple example, uh, low context cultures are the cultures that say what they mean. And they don't usually search for a more careful and a more um, t uh, tactful and more, um, I'd say, fluffy or coaty words to express what they mean. And the most low-context culture in the world is the United States of America. And uh, I probably would like to ask you, Kara, let's swap the roles, if you don't mind, for a second. And I'm going to ask you a question. Um, <laughs> can you give me a guess? Why do you believe the United States of America have become the most low-context culture in the world? It's not by chance. There should be some explanation to that. Mm, that's a good question. Actually, I thought it might be the Dutch or the German. Hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, okay. I think <laughs> for me, it would be from my understanding a bit around American dream, the hustle culture, mm. the doing things fast, progressing fast mm -hmm. in a way that requires very direct communication. Yeah, well, uh, you're, you're absolutely right when it comes to uh, the request for direct communication. But if you think about that, you will notice that The cultures that are more low context are the cultures which had a mix of different ethnic groups in their history. Mm. Because, because if you happen to live the Italians with the Irish, with the Indians, with the Africans, with everyone all together in one place, uh, it's damn difficult to be high context. You probably Makes will be. Sense, yeah. Uh, in the wild, wild west somewhere by the time you express your idea. <laughs> you have yeah. to be very direct and you have to be very, very um, efficient in your communication. And since for pretty much for everyone, it wasn't a native language at that time. 
mm. pretty much for the majority of the uh, migrant groups. Um, it was quite impossible to use the high context in a non-native language. So True. pretty much always the answers to the questions come from history, uh, as uh, a lot of people might be surprised why Scandinavia is much more egalitarian compared to Southern Europe, which is much more hierarchical. Uh, again, pardon me for giving very specific definitions and assigning them to specific culture or ethnic group. And it's not that I'm trying to label someone. I'm trying to appeal to statistics based on different research that was made in a specific culture and a specific mm. country. And again, it's not about stereotyping. It's more about giving generic explanation and a tendency that happens in this or that country. So for instance, um, in Southern Europe, you had this Roman Empire, which was very vertically structured and very hierarchical. And in Northern Europe, you had more or less Viking style of uh, leadership which was all about the round table and doing and deciding together as a group and King Arthur and his knights around the round table. So all of these things were not influenced. Well, some parts were influenced by the Roman empire, but not as many as in Southern Europe. And that's why we see a pretty dramatic difference in um, the culture. And that's why we later saw religious wars between the Northern and Southern Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And we can proceed for a long time. My point is history can very often become a source of understanding for why a certain culture or a certain country behaves in a certain way. Getting back to high context, low context. Do you have any idea, Kara, which culture is the most high context culture in the world? Is it maybe Japan? That is correct. Bingo. And 10 ah, points go to Griffin. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, as you can imagine, this is the most mono-ethnic country in the world and the most, let's say, um, non-expatriated society in the world. Uh, so far, the most mono-ethnic country was uh, the lowest number of foreigners in the country, which makes it perfect for thriving. Of This is a perfect environment for the... Um, development and thriving and spreading of high context culture because mm -hmm. again you have only similar type of people around you who understand and speak the same language and there is no need to be super direct to be understood because people share the same cultural background so that getting back to your question how do we get what we need without frustrating the people of more high context um, so when it comes to the people who come from high context and low context cultures, sometimes there is a situation when things need to be clarified. So the, the other question that you kind of had between the lines is what do we do if we come from a low context culture and we need to communicate with people of uh, high context cultures? How do we sound more polite, tactful, neutral, rather than blunt, direct uh, way of communication that can um, break some traditions or patterns in communication, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. I would just like to say that as in many spheres of our life, everything is very relative. Uh, for you, Kara, as for a German person, an American colleague might be very direct, uh, but it's only natural that for them, you would be very high context. 
So it might seem to them, why you, the Germans, speak in such an unclear way, yeah? So <laughs> at the same time, for your colleague from Belarus or from Ukraine, you would be uh, definitely much more high context. So, um, sorry, sorry, for, for you, they would be much more high context. And that would be harder So uh, to for you to get the direct information from them because of your directness. So there is no just low context culture or just high context culture. It very much depends on the point of view and it's always very relative. So, and we shouldn't also overlook the differences within cultures as well. So in some cultures, it might be more acceptable for males to be more direct rather than females or for people in a higher status. It's more acceptable to be direct and less careful. Uh, so for the leaders, it's more typical than for the subordinates. But going back to this question on advising how to act in a situation when you are very low context and your interlocutor is a high context, I believe that what is the key here is, of course, the patience as the key to success for working with high context people. So many of us, especially those who work in uh, kind of startup industries and high speed IT industries uh, where we introduce a lot of agile, it's very typical that if you have a question, you receive an answer within 20 seconds. If it's oral communication or you receive an answer within a couple of hours, if it's a messenger or a Slack And you might receive an answer within, or you're expected to receive an answer within 24 hours if it's by email. Within high context culture, it may take anywhere from minutes to days, weeks, and months. And the reason is not that these cultures are less efficient or less capable. We can see that a lot of Japanese, Chinese, Korean companies are extremely successful. A lot of industries were created in these countries from scratch. So it's totally far from that. It's just a different style or behavior, which has its own advantages, of course. And there is a certain reason why people in these cultures organize their communication in the way they did. So it's all for a reason. And you need to be able to interpret the message uh, of the other side. And to do that, you need to experience the communication with this specific culture. What helps here is uh, gaining in written certain things. So, for example, instead of communicating in the oral form, sometimes moving towards written communication can be very beneficial. Also, uh, of course, it's very important to try train and practice expressing your information, your questions in a more subtle way and verify questions through different sources. I don't know if, if you want me to give you some examples on that. Yeah, that, that would be great. Yeah, for instance, um, you may want to ask your Thai colleague if he or she is going to be able to stay later on Friday evening because you have an important meeting with a client from a different time zone. And you might want to say, Mr. Ping, is there a possibility that you uh, work with me Friday late evening? And then he would respond something like, well, it's important for me to spend time with my family, but thank you very much for trusting me on such an important client meeting. I'll see what I can do for you. And then... <laughs> Question the marks. Person, yeah. Then the person yeah. in from Europe or from America would ask themselves, is that yes, I can stay? No, I can't. Or I don't know yet. I'll come back to you later was the answer. 
what exactly is the case, right? So yeah. there are multiple ways how you can understand what stands behind that, or better to say how you can verify. First, if there is a third party involved, for instance, Mr. Ping has a secretary, you might clarify from the secretary if there is any information publicly available on the dairy, on the schedule, if there are any plans already um, set in stone. Second, you can ask a similar question maybe a little later, closer to Thursday, asking in a more specific fashion. So, Mr. Ping, I would like to clarify if you are still available for 7 p.m. Friday evening to have a short meeting with me and our client. And we discussed that point, as I remember. I was wondering if I can rely on your expertise in this matter. So then there is a very high possibility that you will get a, a, a more clear answer. You can drag more information from the person that will be harder to, you know, um, to quote or retouch this answer in a more vague term. And um, in the long run, uh, of course, everything depends on the context, but you may uh, ask for a written confirmation, such as send a calendar invitation and expect that the uh, person would either accept or decline or say, uh, potentially, yes, I'm coming. So all yeah. in all... What, Christina, what should I do if the person mm -hmm. then doesn't respond to the calendar invite? That is a very good question. And here we come to something that we call intercultural management. And in this regard, I very much welcome everyone to consider the rules and the uh, patterns of business communication that exist in your company. For many companies, answering a calendar is an obligation. So you must give an answer, R regardless if it's yes, no, or maybe I'm coming. There is just no chance that an employee leaves a calendar invite unanswered. There is, of course very little chance that you have a whole set of sanctions against a person who ignores calendar systematically. But this can be somehow managed through uh, the system of protocols that exists in the company, right? So mm. this is this is a very good question, by the way. So it's, it's very different, very much depends on the context, um, similar to how we deal with other spheres of life. Again, it's, it's very, very different depending on the position. So for, for some people, you might seem, Kara, very funny, but for the other people, you might seem boring and dull. Not for me, for sure, but I'm sure there are just different <laughs> Thank people. You. Yes, yeah. so it's important to reflect upon your own behavior through the lens of the others. And it gives you a lot of learning experience. But there is one more thing before we proceed to some uh, final questions or remarks that I'd like to point out. It's that the biggest mistake that we always do, all of us, regardless if we are working constantly in intercultural teams or we're just newbies in this area, we see that we attribute cultural characteristics to every single representative of a nation or an ethnic group or a professional group. Sometimes you feel just all the Chinese people are a very high context, which is not true. I've seen lots and lots of extremely low context Chinese people, as well as a lot of Americans who deal in their business in the way that the Turkish people would, in a very high context manner. And there is nothing wrong with them. It's just that the other factors come to play. So there are many um, experiences and backgrounds for different people. And there are also masterful and skillful communication. So sometimes Chinese people communicate with other Chinese people in a very high context man manner, but then they travel to Boston and guess what? They end up in the situation when they are very 
uh, clear, very low context, very direct, et cetera, et cetera. So this seems to be a key takeaway for many practice, be that psychological, behavioral, awareness practices, yoga practice, et cetera. We need to have a variety of different behaviors available to us. It is important to be assertive and flexible, dominant and accepting in different situations. So the same applies to cultural awareness. That's what I want to say. Christina, I love that. And I love this inspiration to look at different perspectives, also try to understand how another person could see yourself from their cultural context. And I think if we all take a step towards that, collaboration will definitely increase across all teams. I have a last question for you around taking action that I ask all my guests. So I believe that change comes from action. And therefore, I wanted to ask you about your greatest piece of advice or learning that you can share with our listeners. Right. Um, I do. I couldn't agree more, Kara, with uh, the fact that skill and awareness always comes from practice. Uh, but I probably wouldn't be able to give it just one piece of advice. Let me see if uh, maybe we can um, limit that to two. Uh, and uh, make sure that we give as much as possible to our audience within a limited time. So first and foremost, probably, I would just suggest that we all dive as much as possible within our time, psychological and physical capacity into communicating with the different. And if we can spell the different with a capital D, that would be just the right word. I mean, many people find themselves trapped nowadays in their environment because of different reasons. COVID, political situations, restricted internet access in many countries, unfortunately. High transportation costs, uh, inability to travel, again, for different reasons. We all have our own different limitations. And very unfortunately, Too many people have too many limitations. We can't even imagine sometimes how limited our neighbors are in their capacity to travel or communicate globally. But it's still okay to be limited, but open up and use the opportunities that still exist to interact with people who are different from you, even if you're stuck in a small community. So you need to remember that these opportunities are emerging, already exist, and will emerge in the future. But even now, if you want to develop in that direction, you should be mindful that there are always cultural diversities, even in the smallest of our communities. There are people of different generations, ethnic groups, religious groups, people you can learn a ton by collaborating with them, professional backgrounds again. And so I want you all to be mindful of the opportunities to interact with the expat communities in your country or in your city or town, because there are often clubs or some expat meetups, related events or parties, so on and so forth. So don't hesitate to dive into these communities. However difficult or challenging it might be, there are still some opportunities available, even if the actual physical travel is limited. And um, the second piece of advice I'll probably um, focus on will be revolving around the frustration when it comes to misunderstanding. And mm -hmm. I know that sometimes I'm very frustrated by the behavior of other people. And I find myself frustrated, not because of the personal qualities, but because of cultural characteristics. I'm sure we all end up in the situation when somebody 
who sits nearby in a bus or in the airplane starts speaking very loudly or starts eating or drinking in a very unpleasant fashion or starts talking on the phone uh, almost like shouting or being super aggressive or sometimes um, moving too much and, you know, creating a lot of tension around simply by the fact that they have lots of active gestures and things like that. And these are just small, minor, very daily routine examples that we can uh, face. People who live next door to you might be making very loud celebrations up until late in the evening on some unexpected day in the middle of the week. So why do these people behave this way? What's wrong about them? Why can't they do this or that more efficiently or less carelessly? <laughs> and at this moment, it's very important not to blame yourself for being racist or chauvinist. It's perfectly normal to react to the situation with when something is odd, unusual, and sometimes just simply unpleasant. If you catch yourself at this idea, it's already good enough so that you don't start judging people by their ethnic, religious, or other background, but start looking at them as, as a people with a certain background. Thinking is not the same as acting. I want to say that this is important. You might think that, oh, these people are so weird, but it's very, very important to stop yourself at this point and not start, you know, blaming, um, saying that they are doing something wrong, violating the order, if they are actually not violating the order, of course. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely clear about the legislation, etc. As long as you don't humiliate the other people or act on your impulses, it's fine. Instead, I would suggest that all of us, we should keep thinking, keep analyzing the, our own behavior, not only the behavior of the other people. Accepting that sometimes we are too frustrated and angry and other people are not at fault it's an important step towards cultural awareness. And I think we can all start at least with this. I agree. Awareness is the first step and then you can practice different behaviors. And quite often when we're triggered, it's just something interesting for us to look at. And maybe we also wish that we could have the same loud celebrations with friends. And that's why we're triggered in the first place. <laughs> exactly. As a probably psychologist would say that, this is highlighting some of our undiscovered desires and um, some of our hidden impulses that we are not eager to accept in our own um, behavior. But we are not psychologists here, so let's leave <laughs> no. the, the, this bread to them. Exactly, exactly. And what I learned from my travels and everything, whenever I thought, oh, there is something really different from how things are done in my cultural context and the way I grew up, it's usually these areas when I learned the most when you go in there open minded and give it a chance. Christina, it has been such a rich conversation, so much expertise. Do you have anything else that you want to share with, with our listeners before we wrap it up? I just would like to say that as all of us, we appreciate this uh, development. We're very open and uh, very eager to learn from you, not only to you learn from us. So we would be very excited, I'm sure Kara and myself, to hear some comments and to hear your thoughts and maybe questions and follow up. Uh, comments or recommendations about what you've just heard. Maybe something was too thought-provoking. Uh, it's it's great if it was. So share your thoughts and impressions, even the 
the weirdest ones that you believe do not deserve being mentioned, sometimes those things can provoke the thoughts for the other people. So do not keep them to yourself. Do not deprive other people of the further um, pondering over. So I just welcome everyone to share their thoughts and comments. We'll find a lot of uh, pleasure in reading them and making sure that the next uh, episodes for Chiara or the next uh, public conversations on my side will be even more efficient, fruitful, and interesting for you guys. Amazing. I agree. And it should be a safe space for everyone to learn. We do have different angles, Christina and I, but there is a lot of common ground in between. And I love this conversation and very open exchange. So we're also very curious to see the comments and the feedback for this episode. Christina, thank you so much for finding the time and for having this amazing conversation. Thank you so much, Kiara. It's been truly a pleasure having not just an interview, but a proper conversation. Thank you and the audience. Thank you as well. Bye-bye. Bye. MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Don't forget to dream big and have impact. It's a journey. If you like my work, you can leave me a good rating and share this episode with friends and colleagues or whoever would benefit from this MindSpark. And follow MindSpark on Instagram under mindspark.academy. Take care and see you for the next episode.